Hey, good morning, friends. Merry Christmas. My name is Matthew, and I'm the parish pastor here on the east side. Thank you so much for joining us uh, today. Um, As Annie said at the beginning, this is kind of a special service, and to shoot it, we decided to do it in kind of a special place. We um, have some friends at Georgia Avenue Church, and they let us use this beautiful place that has been used by many churches over the years and many ministry partners, and has in general been a space that has blessed Atlanta and made Atlanta a better place to be, um, especially for those are poor, those who are in need among us. It's a chance for us to remember, even when we get to be in this really beautiful place today, that, that we are a part of a really large, broad family, that we as a relatively new church stand on the shoulders of those who've come before us to be a source of life and peace, a faithful presence in this city. We remember that God is a God who's with us. He's Emmanuel. And that this place just sort of stands as a testimony, as do many churches around our city, that God has been with Atlanta for a long time. And so it's a gift to get to be here um, today. We just heard from Luke chapter 2, this really beautiful retelling of a story that I'm sure uh, many of you um, were familiar with. And it captures the spirit of this season, which is that something um, miraculous happened, and it happened in a way that nobody was really expecting it. It was God showing up on the scene in the subtlest of ways and announcing it to the most forgotten people. In 1791, the 87-year-old Saint John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, great Anglican pastor, theologian, he's, he's dying at home. He's surrounded by loved ones, family, and friends, and there's actually some people who are in the room who've recounted this in, in their journals that we can now read today. And so John Wesley's trying to communicate a couple more things before he passes, but no one can understand what he's saying because he's kind of mumbling, and so they're leaning in over the bed. They're trying to decipher what it is, and no one can, can figure it out. And so he gets sort of frustrated, but he takes a minute, he gathers his strength, and then he says as clearly as he can, the best of all is that God is with us. And then, uh, supposedly, he says it one more time, and, and this time he sort of raises an arm in like a, like a victorious uh, gesture of some sorts, and then shortly after that, he dies. The best of all is this, God is with us. The Hebrew for this is uh, Emmanuel, you probably know that. It's actually a word that is given to Joseph, the father of sorts for Jesus of Nazareth. An angel comes and meets Joseph in a dream and says, um, you need to marry this woman that you're betrothed to because this is a fulfillment of the Isaiah prophecy. The virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is after an angel has already visited Mary and told her that she will have in her womb a child who will be called the Son of the Most High, that he will be given the throne of his father David, and that his kingdom will have no end. And then, of course, the text that we just heard, the angels declare to the shepherds, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ, that is Messiah, the Lord And so as each one of these figures at the end of our text, they're standing over this manger, this feeding trough. They're looking at this little minutes old brown baby asleep in the straw. And the voices of the angels are ringing in their ears. Each one of them has heard a name for this. And it is a declaration from God spoken to forgotten people that he has come to be God with us. I've watched a lot of babies uh, sleep over the years. I've had four. My friends have had babies. And, and holding a, a sleeping baby is a, is a super holy thing. It's a, it's a special, intimate, amazing 
moment because there's so much before that child. And, and yet I just wonder, like, what every, like every Christmas, I wonder, like, what was it like to look at this baby sleeping? I mean, probably, probably pretty normal looking. He probably looked like a baby sleeping. Like, but who in that moment wasn't muttering under their breath? Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a compound word. It's actually made up of three uh, shorter Hebrew words. El is the Hebrew word for God or one of the Hebrew words for God. Im is a Hebrew conjunction. It means with. And then nu is the personal pronoun us. And so uh, Emmanuel is, is a compound word which just simply means that he is the with us God. He is the God who has chosen to, to draw near to us. And so what I want to do in the next few minutes is just kind of explore what that means for you and for me just one word at a time. What does it mean that he is God? Well, it means that the Bible tells us and the church has always affirmed and Christians have always understood that this baby in the manger was actually God. It wasn't God possessing a, ba- a baby's body. It was God becoming a human being, which means that there was a time uh, in human history where God uh, babbled like a baby and moved like a baby and toddled like a baby. There was a time in history where God picked things up off the ground and put them in his mouth and his parents had to dig them out with their fingers. There was a time where God got his first pimple and when his voice began to change and he would crack during prayers at synagogue. There was, there was a time when God got a headache or a toothache or a charley horse in his calf in the middle of the night and shot out of bed. God decided one day, amazingly, to become a human being. He hadn't always been a human being. There was a time where he wasn't, and then one day he was. The God who had thundered on Sinai to Moses, the God who had spoken the law, the God who had led the children of Israel by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, the God who had walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden, this God decided once and for all to become something. God didn't become a burning bush. God didn't become a pillar of fire. God became a human being. God was a baby. We just sang um, from Hark the Herald Angels sing, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Do you know what that means? It means that it pleased God to become a human being. Like he wanted it. God chose it. It wasn't something that he resigned himself to. It was something that pleased him. To be a a small little baby that could be picked up and held and sang to and whose diaper needed to be changed, who liked to be tickled. It pleased God to become this baby. This baby is God. And this baby is God uh, with, which means simply that God is no longer removed from us by by anything. God's not outside the room. He's not up in the heavens far removed from us. He's not upstairs. You know, we sort of jokingly refer to God or I don't know, we, our grandparents used to do it. The man upstairs. Probably you don't use that, but you've heard it. He's the man upstairs. Well, what, is, what does it imply that God is the man upstairs? What is implicit in that is that, um, that we have to climb stairs to get to God. That he's like up there and I have to figure out, therefore, how to climb stairs metaphorically speaking. How do I become a person who can ascend, who can do the right things, who can do enough good things? And it's almost as if like in a single stroke, God just decided that he was going to make it impossible for you and me to have that kind of broken idea of what he's like because there are no more stairs to climb. He's decided to come down the stairs into the room with us. He's, he's here on the level with us now. 
He's with us. God didn't have to do it this way. He could have remained distant. It would have been simple. In fact, it maybe even would have been understandable for God to sort of look at the mess that the world was, and the world is a mess. It was a mess then, it's a mess now. We're a brutal people. Nations rise against nations. People use power to exploit and, and to harm. We're willing to go to almost any length in order to get what we want out of life, even to impoverish or enslave whole nations. We are a people who are willing to step over one another if it means that we are protected and safe. We use and exploit creation with no regard for future generations. Systemic racism and oppression are just par for the course in our society today. Misogyny and classism and racism and sexism and It would have been easy for God to just stay removed from this, the abuse, the neglect. And yet God decides to be a God who's with, a God who doesn't stay far away, a God who comes down onto the level with us, into the mess, feels the mess with us, lets the mess touch him. I've learned over the years as a pastor that there's really almost no greater gift that I can give to another person than to simply be with them. Not like in proximity to them, but still distracted by my thoughts, still distracted by my phone, still distracted by my surroundings but like present to, attentive to, and with. God is a God who has chosen to be with. He's not far from you. He's not looking down on you. He's not removed from your circumstances. He's not even removed from the room you're in right now. He is with us. God with. And then finally, God with us, which raises this question finally. um, Who's the us? And I think we have to be honest and say that every person who received the message of an angel in Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew 1, every person who received this would have understood the word us in a very specific sense. They were all Jews. They were all oppressed. They were all living under the the occupation of Rome. And they all would have understood God with us means God with the covenant people of Israel. God with the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God was coming to be with his people. Finally, God was coming to save those whom he had chosen. A couple weeks ago, Sarah um, quoted from Luke chapter 4. And the reason she did is because in Luke chapter 4, Jesus gives his first sermon. And he actually quotes Isaiah 61, which was the text she was teaching from. And so you'll probably recognize these words. Jesus picks up the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he reads these words. He goes, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's in his hometown. He's near Galilee. Uh, this, this is a group of people that live sort of in the backwaters of, 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 of Israel. And they're hearing this word as being very specific to them. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll and it says, and they all spoke well of him. They all said, oh man, we love this guy. We love his teaching. He's here to tell us that he's come to bring us good news, that God is for us, that God is with us. But then he goes on to say, he says, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. In other words, like take care of your own. Like worry about your own folk. But then he goes on, he says this, but it is true that there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and there was a severe famine over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon, a Gentile, 
And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except for Naaman the Syrian, a Gentile. And when they heard this, they all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up and drove him out of town and they led him to the brow of the hill in which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. And why? Why are they so upset about this? They're so excited one minute. Hey, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor and to, to declare release from ca- captivity and, and declare the year of the Lord's favor. This is great news. And Jesus says, don't forget that in the time of the great prophets, God with us meant God with them, God with the nations, God with all people. Well, this, is, this doesn't fit into the framework. It doesn't fit into the worldview. God with us means us. It doesn't mean them. It does not mean God with them. But Jesus says, no, God is with them. And here's why this is so important. Because if God is with us and God is with them, then there really is no them left. It's all us. God's with all of us. And friends, this whole year has just been one more extreme escalation of the us versus them in every arena around politics and presidents and science and masks and school closings and church openings and stimulus packages and the environment and economics us versus them us versus them they're the bad guys we're the good guys and Jesus comes to say to you and me there is no them It's for everyone. No one is too lowly. No one is too lonely. No one is too down and out. No one is too dirty. No one's too bad. No one's too isolated. No one's too forgotten. God is here to be with all of us. As St. Paul says in his letter to the Ephesian church, in Jesus, what God was doing was tearing down a wall of hostility between us, that he came and he preached peace to those who were far away. And he came and preached peace to those who were near so that he might make them into one new humanity. And that is God's big Christmas rescue plan. It's not individual salvation, first and foremost, but it is healing and unity and unification for all peoples because God had not forgotten one of them. Nobody was outside of his love. We've said every week during Advent that we are looking for heaven to meet earth, which is another way of saying what we are desiring is an experience of healing and divine love. And what Christmas tells us is that before we could even ask for it, God had already said, I love you. You are my children. I want to be with you. And that little brown baby sleeping in a manger, gazed on by peasants and social outcasts, and soon-to-be refugees, was a declaration that God was leaving no one behind, that he had come to be with us forever. And we take communion every week because we remember Jesus' words to us at the Last Supper, which are this, whenever you do this, remember me. It's like a reminder, like, oh, that's right, Jesus is as close to me as this bread and this wine. He's not far removed. He's not far off. God is right here. 
He draws near to you and me so that he can be close to us, so that he can heal us and make us into a new humanity. On the night when Jesus was handed over to suffering and death, he took bread. And after giving thanks for it, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in the remembrance of me. And then in the same way after supper, he took a cup of wine. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you and for many for forgiveness of sins. Drink this, all of you, in remembrance of me. And so whenever we take this bread and we dip it in this cup, we are declaring what the church calls the mystery of our faith. That Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And so if you happened to pick up some communion supplies uh, last Sunday or on, on, uh, at Christmas Eve, you can get them out and we're going we're gonna to pray together and then you're going to have a chance to, to take them at the end of the service. Let's pray. We thank you, Almighty God, for this memorial of our redemption. And we recall, Lord, as we look at this bread and this cup, we recall the significant and great and costly story behind it. The crucifixion of Jesus. God coming to be with us even in our greatest suffering. But then the resurrection of Jesus. God leading the way out of death out of suffering, out of sin, forever. And so we receive this as your gifts and we offer it to you and we pray, Holy Spirit, come. Come and sanctify this food and make it to be for us the body and blood of Jesus that we would eat and drink unto salvation. As we do, we pray that you would sanctify us. You'd make us into, into new humanity. God, we pray that the joy of this season, that this 12 days of feasting that you call your church into, that, Lord, it would not simply be 12 days of excess, but, God, it would be 12 days of joy, that there would be a deep, abiding, living joy at work in us that is propelling us outside of ourselves and in love towards others. All of this we ask by Jesus, with him, in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit. All honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, both now and forever. Amen. And let's finish by praying the words that Jesus gave to his church to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We're going to end our service today with a verse from Joy to the World that you may have never heard before. The lyrics are, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. So may he bless you this season. May you go out into the world this Christmas season and feel the blessing of Jesus on you in your life. Merry Christmas.